2: What is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Forgotten Seasons. This is your host Dylan Dreyfus. Today we got Stefan Marbury reliving his second year in the league with the 1998 T-Wolves. When people talk about 90s and 2000s what-ifs in the NBA, the scenario of KG and Marbury sticking together into the 2000s has to be brought up. In 98, at 20 and 21 years old, KG and Marbury lead the Wolves to 45 wins. They meet the 61 win Seattle Sonics in round one and lose in a tight five game series back when it was only best of five. The following season, Marbury gets traded to New Jersey. KG is in Minnesota for nine more seasons up until 2007. There's a few year window from 2003 to like 2005 where you could really argue that KG was the best player in the league. In that nine-year window in Minnesota, he has an all-star teammate just twice, 34-year-old Sam Cassell in 04, and Wally Serbiak in 2002. Needless to say, but Marbury was the best teammate KG had in Minnesota, and that was at 20 years old. Would have only gotten better as time went on. When you look at Marbury's career after he left Minnesota, it's pretty bleak. Makes the playoff twice, 2003 in Phoenix and 2004 in New York. Both first round exits. Towards the back half of this interview, Steph opens up about KG and the whole what-if scenario. Speaks pretty honestly, candidly about it. Reminder to drop a rating and a review on the podcast. We're going to get into it now. Forgotten Seasons with Stephon Marbury on the 1998 T-Wolves begins right now. Stephon Marbury, Starbury, you look great. How you feeling today, man?
1: I'm alright, man. I'm blessed. I can't. I can't complain. I'm I'm here. I'm living as we spoke, you know. Pre, um, we're both here. We woke up, so I'm all right. How you doing?
2: Hey, bro. I mean, you gotta. I'm sure it's usual for you, but I'm here talking with Stephon Marbury, man. I'm, I'm, I'm living. This is, uh, you know, this is a dream.
1: It's all good, baby. Let's do it.
2: Let's do it. So, real quick, hitting on this Point God's documentary. Um, I've seen it. It's amazing. Streaming on Showtime. Everybody go watch it. Uh, real quick, just tell tell fans, basketball fans, what they can expect with this documentary, and also just the significance of New York Point Guards to the history of you know not only NBA but but basketball.
1: I mean, you just go to the you go through the history and you think of Bob Cousy, Lenny Wilkins, Tiny Archibald, so many great ones. Raj Strickland, Kenny Kenny Smith you know, Sham Godwell, Sebastian Telfair, you know, Pearl Washington, Dave Edwards, so many, so many guards that you can, you can go down the line and the list of players that, play, that have played basketball from New York City and the guards who have paved the way in so many different ways and what they've done on a court to be able to give people a visual um, to remind the basketball lovers of them forever. Mm.
2: All right. So heading back again, uh, forgotten seasons. We're talking about 1997 98 Minnesota Timberwolves season, your second year in the league. Brief history of how we led up to this point. You go four, fourth overall in the 96 draft, get traded to Minnesota for Ray Allen on draft night. And year one, you join KG. You make the playoffs, turning the tide in Minnesota. You get swept mm. by a team of Hall of Famers in Houston. And then year two is kind of where it starts to tick up, especially with you. You averaged 17 and 8, youngest player ever to do that at the time, breaking Magic Johnson's record. Uh, since then, kid Luca broke it, but that's pretty good company when you're in the conversation with with Magic and Luca. How dope was it just like coming into the league year two and and right away you're just killing?
1: You know, I came in with a different mind frame. And my second year, I put on like uh, 15 pounds. So when I put when I put that extra weight on, but it was you know weight from from lifting, not you know from just getting bulky. When I put that weight on, it just changed my game. And then that's when I really when I really realized that being the strongest guard is super important because that allows you to go straight down the middle of the court. Not that many players run straight down the middle of the court and score in the NBA. It's hard to do from the top of the key, straight line drive, right or left, to the basket, finish above the rim. So, for me, you know, that that was important, which is why we get to talk about the point guards. <laughs> there we go. Hey, and hey, real quick,
2: so. Kenny Smith in the, in the documentary talked about how when he got to the college in the NBA, people always talk about these like welcome to the NBA moments and all this shit, but, but he was saying that he had his toughest matchups growing up on the blacktop in New York City. So when he got to college in the NBA, you know, it's different, but it's it's not maybe the same as people that don't come up in New York. Do you feel or share those same thoughts?
1: 100%. My, my brother, Gaddafi Alonzo, I mean, he played for... We grew up playing against each other every day. I mean, and we would play and we'd lose. Whoever lose, sometimes we'd start fighting. <laughs> and then after that, we started go to get some chips and a 50-cent a drink. You know what I'm saying? So um, guys like Gaddafi pushed me to be like a, a, a different monster because, you know those are those are where the real fights are where you from because everybody trying to get out you know what i'm saying everybody trying to be the best to try to make it to the nba and you know i can relate wholly with what kenny said because it's the truth you know getting those opportunities growing up you don't even realize like for me growing up in in Coney Allen people don't realize because of the wind and we in the buildings cuz we're right next to the ocean when we shoot when we play basketball we know where the ball is going to go so we know when to shoot it off the backboard and based upon that day when you out playing that night you know what kind of day is going to be what kind of you know how the ball going to go so you know you you trying to get to the basket those days when you playing 21 or you playing knockout or you playing you know what i'm saying Whatever you whatever games you playing, two on two, one on one, mm-hmm. three on you play all of it, all the way up to five on five, all the way down to one on one four court. So that right there, it changes. It it change, it 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 changes the way how you develop as a player. So all of these different functionalities of playing basketball, you know, you 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 learn how to do this with win factor and you know, you learn it from playing against guys like Gaddafi, guys like who Kenny Smith spoke about playing against on the black top.
2: Mm. Yeah, Shooting one is windy, man. I know kids from Coney Island can do it, but there's nothing worse, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard as hell.
2: So tough to talk about Minnesota without bringing up KG. He's a year older than you. And again, you know, twenty twenty-one 21 years old, you guys are, but you're killing it. He averages 20, 10, 4. Blocking a steal you know when you think about kg at this time your first few years in the league do you have like one word or one story that just flashes to your mind first
1: uh kev is probably one of the hardest workers and focused and dedicated committed basketball players i know from seeing it from a young age like kev was stretching for 30 40 minutes before people was even thinking about stretching. it like our age. I mean I stretch, mm-hmm. but I for like how he stretched. He wake up, stretch, he go to sleep, he stretch. You know, so I knew his commitment and his love to basketball. So for me, I knew Kev would be one of the best players to ever play It wasn't that was easy to to know, to see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my brothers used to be like, yo, they my I mean, he know Kev knows how my brothers feel about him. He know how I feel about him. And um to to know Kev as a basketball player nobody worked nobody worked like him. I mean, he's a dog when it comes to like getting certain things down, staying after practice, before practice. Um so it's great that play
2: with a guy like that. Obviously he talks shit to the opposing team, so he talks shit to his own teammates.
1: Kev Kev gets? it's like something inside his brain that switch, it's a switch that goes off whenever he wanted to go off. You know what I'm saying? And when it go off it's like he like blacks out and he, he's just in a space. It's like he's in a zone space that only the people that can vibrate with him, that's there with him, can do that. He grabbed me one time by my by my ears, cause he was so hyped. And scars all of my neck and my, and my back of my ears, and I felt it. You know, you know when you get swiped, when you get cut, you like, oh, that's gonna burn, that's gonna hurt, and then th- that's gonna bleed, and then it's bleeding. I already knew my it was all raw. I had white. It was like. I was like, but I know that that's just his energy and his passion that he can't control. So, you know, for me to be able to, I had connection and energy with that type of human being from doing something that we love to do was pretty dope and memorable. It's stuff that you'll never forget. And KG is, I mean, I'm not shocked at anything that they say about him as a hooper. He's uh that's who he is and. The cursing and the yelling and all that, I don't think that's Kevin. That's just thats just who he is. <laughs>
2: hey, that's a big-ass hand coming down on you, too. He's got, he probably just doesn't even realize his own size. That's Kev. So kind of zooming out right now, like thinking about the state of the league when you walked in, obviously, 97, 98, this is the Bulls' last dance. We got something brewing in L.A. with Shaq and Kobe. Um, how do you, like, best paint the picture of the league that you walked into?
1: Um, it was ready to go from one space to another space when guys like Allen Iverson and myself mm-hmm. came. It was a mm-hmm. uh, time for a shift in the culture. Um, the NBA is it's a it's an entertainment platform that everyone gets to utilize, and like this. this. Yeah, exactly. So we can have these conversations and converse about all of the different things that, you know, have gone on. But at the end of the day, fans love who they love and they support who they support. And, you know, they hope for the best for their team, for that team to be successful based upon the the people that they hire, the decisions that they make. And then they spend money to go see that team. You know, whichever team is doing that, for the fans to be able to have that experience and for, you know, the fans to be able to root and share for that team, for them to possibly win, that's great. It's all entertainment. So everybody wins and everybody eats in it. So I have different perspectives, you know, which is OK. You know, it's OK for me to see it a one way and for you to see it another way.
2: Hey, that's how it should be. Uh, I know like Stack Jack talked about just the importance of you and AI coming into the league and how you know you were a little bit more outspoken and rubbed some people in the league office the wrong way. Um, when did that start for you? Like, when did you start butting heads with the David Stearns of the world? Was it right away? Did it take a few years? Was it when you left Minnesota? Uh, when did that sort of just start to – when did that friction start to happen and and why?
1: I don't think it was like butting heads. I think it was more of – Um, I didn't do what I was told to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's people misunderstand, you know, butting heads and doing something that you are told to do. Um, but it's okay, you know, because of um, what went on in the past has shaped and molded what's happening now. You know what I'm saying? So, um, clearly. You know, you can't go to a place where there's a billion plus people and, you know, play basketball and, you know, they do things like build monuments of you, mm-hmm. you know, and they, that stuff, it, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't normally happen like that. You know, it doesn't just all all of a sudden turn around as a human being people can't question that cuz i'm not perfect i make mistakes but it's all positive it's all love so it's not a button head and i think people should recognize the difference in time as time <clears throat> as time takes its place in its course for some people they should recognize within their time frame that now they can see that okay so this guy evolved to something else it's not just about basketball and it's it's bigger than basketball so you know for me i got nothing but respect for the nba and for uh, how things are going right now i respect that
2: well i think undeniably and people say you know you you've paved a path for people today, players today, you know, you look at the league fits of the worlds and players being able to freely express yourself. Do you have a sense of pride in looking at the league now? And, you know, thinking back 20 years ago, maybe the tribulations that people like you and AI had to go through to allow players to be themselves. Is there, do you feel pride from that? Cause I think you should.
1: I mean, I, 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 I have, I mean, I, I lived in my moment when, I was playing basketball and I was speaking about what was going on with me and what was happening with me because everyone's situation is completely different, but there are similarities and certain things that can have, can, that can ha- happen with players, with coaches, with whoever, you know, it's, it's all possible for the same thing to happen all over again with the player. But um, I think for me, I just now just look at it and say I said what I said because that's how I felt and that's what what the truth was. And I can say it right now. And I don't have to remember what I said because I know what happened. I don't got to change no... I'm not going to change a story from something that happened in my moment in my life.
2: 100%. 100%. So circling back kind of your first few years in the league, you mentioned Gary Payton as a guy that kind of showed you what was good. Um, as you were trying to establish yourself, who were the guys that you kind of circled on the calendar, trying, trying to bring it to and who were the guys that showed you what, you know, an
1: NBA star point guard was like. I never really, I never circled anybody because every night you knew you, were somebody. you knew, it. I mean, there's no night off in the NBA. Yeah. If those, dope- off that, that guy took off, and that other guy was on.
2: Talk about the West, even the West at that time. There's five teams that have 56 or more wins. You got Utah, you got Seattle, you got San Antonio, kind of war zone.
1: I mean, you're playing against every night, you're hooping. I mean, that's what is, 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 was, was the best part about playing in the NBA. You get, you get the hoop. And you get to go against all of the top players all the time because you have a guy who you who's a backup and he's getting this opportunity. You go in the game thinking, oh, you, you you he wasn't on the scouting report, but he's on the scouting report, but you didn't pay attention. And he got 10 points at halftime and about five assists. He's on pace for a 20 and 10 night. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot of points from one person from assists and points. Like, that's, that's what we do. We put 36 up a night, 20 and 8.
2: <laughs> Every night. You
1: know, and I got 36 points on the board, and some threes can go into that. We not even counting those points. That's like be forty something points every night that you paying me for. Like that's why my stock is my stock. Come on, man. The business, man. <laughs> Basketball business. But you get it, you know what I'm saying? So I think for the most part, you know, it has to be viewed. It has to be looked at like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Going into the playoffs, you win forty-five games, seven seed. You mentioned Gary Payton and Vin Baker. Uh, what memories do you have of that series? You have them up two-one at home. Could have closed them out. It's a team that's been there before. You know they were in the finals a few years back. What do you remember from that series?
1: Exactly what they did. They used their they used their their smarts, their savviness of playing um, in the finals. Not only playing in the finals, but experienced players who have been there before, who had a different type of desire because they lost. So now they're not about to let these two little young punks come in and try to (laughs) knock them out. But, you know, after that, I was like, oh, I got to get way stronger. Like I need to be like way stronger to do what I want to do on the court because I can't do what I was doing in college mm-hmm. and high school can't do that like that in the NBA. And when you you got to be honest with with yourself. So right away, I went to I went to go pump that iron. Mm-hmm. After that, that was it's the over. cure. G- give me
2: one Gary Payton soundbite if you remember.
1: GP, uh, there is no one. <laughs> there is no one soundbite for GP. <laughs>
2: Nonstop.
1: There's no that's he that's he dude. That's part of the tenacity that he brings to the defensive basketball game he brings that 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 talk so um, he 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 brings that to the he brings that to the table with that and whenever you play against a guy like that you have to make sure that the first thing you the first thing you 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 do is you never listen to that cuz if you listen to that it becomes a distraction. And that's part of it. You just got to hoop and just block out whatever he says. Cause he say things to try to get you to say something on the court, off the court. It's great. I love that. That's great to go and litbox mm-hmm. box that time. But on the court, you got to just hoop against GP smart. Knows his craft. So you think the worst thing that you can do is talk back to him? Basically, there's no point. That's what he do. He do that while he's playing. <laughs> he's talking the whole time on the court. It's like is kev that's is, kev, is kev
2: talking at that point, or is he is he listening? KG? Yeah, no,
1: no, no, kev kev talking to, but he ain't really talking talking to him. Like I, kev started talking talking when he got to Boston, mm. but he talked he talked in um in Minnesota from what I saw, but. In Boston, he kev he, but he talked on the court to the point where you're like he's directing everybody so everybody can be in the right position
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that because he's the, he knows he's the last line of defense so he's mm-hmm. communicating like being on a battlefield and where guys should be get up on pick and roll show weak side weak side weak side. Like you hearing that, because Kev loves basketball, so and he he loved winning, he hate losing. So being being that he has all of these different factors, that's what made him like when he talked. And then you know, the talking talking nonsense, talking talking smack stuff, that's that's normal. <laughs> but KG, they didn't really do that when we were playing, but when he got older, he did.
2: Maybe he's listening to Gary Payton and, and remembering some of the stuff he says to use for, <laughs> maybe, to use for later.
1: Maybe, uh,
2: maybe. So I know we only got a few minutes left coming out of this season. You guys lose 3-2 in the first round, and then, you know, a few <clears throat> weeks into the next season, you're out. You know, it's been said before. You've talked about why you left Minnesota, you know, seemed to be like a cultural fit. You just didn't weren't happy there. And I think uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned you, our perspective on the game is much different from yours. Was there like a sense of relief just leaving there and going back to New Jersey where it's closer to home?
1: Um, I, listen, I, I was happy playing basketball there. I just didn't want to spend seven years of my life living in 40 below, you know, weather with snow all the time. That's not something that I wanted to commit myself to. I love basketball, but it just came down to, it wasn't just about basketball. It was about me living how I felt um but you know so it was i had the fans great playing ball there all of it was was amazing it was really that part um and you know but people are still bitter about it because because if you look at kg's career bro like
2: he stayed in Minnesota for how he, he stayed probably for for a little bit too long. And who was the best teammate that he had after you? Dude, there's there's none, gone. bro. because that, that's because I mean, I, I know it's it's unfair for anybody outside of the situation to look at you and say you should have done this. But as basketball fans, the, the thought of you I and KG it, playing playing together for all that time, like that rewrites the history of the game a hundred percent
1: yo i get this question i <laughs> know to be like i know NBA i'm sorry like i'm sorry so- i'm sorry nah, it's all
2: good it's just it's, it, it's got to say something that what 25 <laughs> years later we're still fucking talking about it
1: <laughs> you saying that with conviction <laughs> <laughs> hey. it's true bro I feel you. I feel you, you know? And, you know, it's it's to the point where people have made me feel like, well, okay, let me really jog my memory back and think, like, how would it have really been? And I'm like, yeah, me and Ken would have basically been terrorizing the league with just pick and rolls, high pick and roll and high pick and roll with shooters in the corner (laughs) nobody would be able to move. (laughs) It would be like Stocking and Malone on steroids.
2: <laughs> Say that! Like,
1: oh my God, people, they be so mad at me.
2: But no, but no, but no, <laughs> no, 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 no regret at all on your part.
1: It's not that I have regret about it. It's not because I honestly feel like if I didn't, if all of what didn't happen, we wouldn't be right here talking and having such an amazing conversation right now, talking because we vibe But you know, at the end of the day it was it was designed the way how it was designed what for me is for me was what's for you is for you what god got for you god got for you what god got for me he got for me and you know i'm i'm a firm believer i let god direct all my, my 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 decisions when i'm making something that's concerning for my my future and my family you know what i'm saying because this is how you know, I take care of my family. You know, so for me, I wanted to make sure that I, 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 that I was happy. That's important. You can't, you can't play basketball feeling like that. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's stressful enough, and all of what you have to do to prepare yourself to play basketball. You know what I'm saying? That's it's hard within itself, but then to do it with Another burden of stress. is not it's not comfortable, and that's not something you should grow. Um, being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, you shouldn't have to do that. And I didn't want to do that for myself. I know myself, so I you know I've, that was a, it was a decision. Hey man,
2: I think at the end of the day, who the hell are we to tell you what what is the right decision <laughs> and and you know you know that NBA fans live in this fantasy it's land. It's all and... love.
1: It's all love. I'm there too. I'm there too. I live there too. It's all good. It's all good. That's why, you know, it is to the point now it makes me feel good sometimes to hear people talk about it 25 years later, you know? It should, like, bro. Wow. It should. No, it's like it's a deep thing and that it, it shows what what energy they saw on the court during that time. And I, I respect it. I respect it.
2: It was mean fucking energy, bro. <laughs> in the best in the in the best way. That's that's why. That's why we're still talking Dude. about it. Um Failure. <laughs> All right, Steph, man. Again, a privilege to talk to you, bro. Um I, I'm sorry to ask you the same question that that every interview asks you, but I mean, you know, you know where it's, it's coming from. Coming,
1: it's different coming from you, so it's all good. You come from a coming from a different place.
2: I appreciate it, man. Um, again, Point God Showtime, watch it. Uh, Steph, man, any any last words to send to send us to send
1: the listeners off to? Just as my 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 older brother Eric say, be good and don't hurt nobody.
2: There we go. Beautiful.
1: All right, bro. Uh, Really appreciate it.
2: uh, That is a wrap for this week's interview, Stefan Marbury on the 1998 T Wolves. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. We will be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Reminder drop a rating and a review on the podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Follow Showtime Basketball at Show Basketball for more. Catch you next Tuesday. Until then, peace.